mamu pokele la balitele maka akuba bana. Kuba 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 bana. Bakwa lesa. Kuba bana. Kuba bana. Kuba bana. Bakwa lesa. Ponce abamu pokele la balipele maka akuba bana. Ponce abamu pokele la balipele maka akuba bana. Kuba bana, kuba bana, kuba bana, kuba bana, muya ya ya muya ya ya muya ya ya bakwa lesa, muya ya ya muya ya ya muya ya ya bakwa lesa, kuba bana. Today, um, we have somebody coming up to read the, the story for us, but let me give you a little background to it. We're reading from Exodus, and we're reading one of the more familiar stories in the Bible, the story of the Ten Commandments. And we enter this story when we read this, that this moment that happens on Mount Sinai happens exactly three months, exactly three months after the um, Israelites have been freed from Egypt. And, um, and it comes right at a moment in Moses' leadership where Moses realized he can't control and have, provide all the leadership for this group. So right before this is a time where Moses needs to share leadership. And we need to share it, and he's, he tries to bring order to this group, this mass group that's going through the wilderness. So that's how we enter this story, but each one of us enters this story from a different perspective. I'm going to make a confession here. I'm of the age where um, Moses is definitively Charlton Heston, and everything happened just like it did in the movie. Because in my house on Sunday nights was popcorn night, and we watched a movie, and there were three Sundays in the year that I was allowed to stay up past 9 o'clock to watch a movie. That was when The Sound of Music was on. It was when the Wizard of Oz was on, and it was when the Ten Commandments were on, and they were all in living color, when there was an option to have either or. Um, but we, those stories that are shaped by that um, always offer kind of a different perspective. And a movie isn't always the most accurate thing. And I was realizing as I go through and enter this, this story, I enter it with three perspectives, that movie... My confirmation lessons that I got as a child and also kind of the modern day culture, this push to always want to have the Ten Commandments outside of a courthouse. Those three things are baggage that I bring into this story. And we all have that kind of baggage or we all bring something into the story because we've heard it so much that our understanding of it is so defined. So I'm going to challenge that this morning. I'm going to challenge your understanding of that. And I want you to be thinking as you listen to this story being read, what are those images when it comes to Ten Commandments that you put into your head 
And it's almost like it has to be there. This has to be. This is what the Ten Commandments is. Think about that as we listen to it. Come on. The Israelites were on their way to the land God had promised them. It was a long way. With God watching over them, the men, women, and children walked and walked and walked over the hot, dry land. When they got tired and needed to rest, they would set up tents and camp together under the stars. While they were camping at the bottom of a mountain called Mount Sinai, something incredible happened. On the morning of the third day that they were there, a dark cloud covered the mountain. Crash, boom, bang. Lightning and thunder filled the sky. The people were afraid. Suddenly, the voice of God called Moses. God asked Moses to climb to the top of the mountain. So Moses grabbed his walking stick and climbed up, up, up. When he got to the top of the mountain, God spoke. God said, Moses, listen up. I have important rules for you and the people to live by. You can turn to this list to know how to love God and each other. Do your best to follow this list. It won't be easy, but I am with you and I love you. Then God gave Moses a list of ten special rules called the commandments. They were, I am God, the only God. Honor me above all the other things and people. There are no other gods for you, only me. My name is special. Don't use it with bad words or mean talk. Take a day of rest each week. Call it the Sabbath and make it a special day for God. Show your mom, dad, and others who take care of you love and respect. Don't hurt others with your words or actions. If you get married, you must be loyal to your husband or wife. Don't take things that aren't yours. Tell only the truth by your family, friends, and even those you, who you don't know. Be happy with what you have. Don't wish for things that other people have. And with that, the dark cloud went away. Moses walked down, down, down the mountain. The people were still scared from the dark cloud thunder, but Moses said, don't be afraid. God has given us special rules to teach us how to live together in peace. Moses told the people about God's rules, and they did their best to follow them. So while I was on vacation, I was reading the Smithsonian Magazine, and I read a story about Garrett McNamara, also known as the Hound of the Sea. And Garrett McNamara is a thrill seeker. He is a man who has dedicated himself to surfing the largest wave in recorded history. He's searching after a 100-foot wave. He actually accomplished the feat of um, surfing down an 85-foot wave off the coast of Portugal. And these kind of guys are different because Garrett, yeah, right? Just kind of walked into that one. Um, Garrett's not a young man. He's 51 years old. And he does this, he studies the seas, he studies the current, and he goes for this dynamic thrill, but this is not a sport for young men. And it was an absolutely fascinating article of learning something I've never really knew anything about, but that was not really the part of the story that captured me. Garrett went into a long talk about his upbringing and how, how random it was, and it took him years to kind of put his life together. His mother left his father when they were really young, when he and his brother Liam were very, very young, and she just left to go find herself and to go find meaning in life and to go find the world, and she just started traveling wherever the wind would take her. And it's something kind of romantic and hippie-ish about it that we like, but she would just leave her kids 
in random places with random people for random amounts of time. If she got caught up into something, she would just go, okay, I'm going to go and follow that. You guys stay here. And these kids were like three and four years old. She once left them with a Guatemalan farmer up in the hills for months. And the guy, the farmer, was so distraught, he said, please, please let me adopt your children. They, they need better than this. And he, she wouldn't do it. And Garrett says, at the time, I wanted to be adopted. I just wanted, because it would just be, it would go from America to Central America to South America to California to Hawaii, all over the place. She once, my favorite part of the story, she once joined a cult, a Christian cult, that followed a man by the name of Jesus Christ Lightning Amen. I told Peggy I needed a name makeover. I just really needed one. But in this cult, the mother burned all their possessions, burned their money, burned everything of possessions. All they held on to were some bed sheets and a belt. And so at the age of like 10, they're walking around the streets of Berkeley, California, around kids that they go to school with, wearing nothing but a bed sheet and a belt. She found that came, became related or associated with a lounge singer, and then she dressed him up like they were the Jackson Five in a velvet suit, velvet tie, and a velvet hat, and paraded him around town. It took Garrett years to put his life back together, to learn how to cope with his childhood, and to himself become a responsible father. And he was lucky to make it to adulthood not because of his own recklessness, but due to his mother's chaotic behavior. Garrett's life made me think about the abused children I've worked with throughout the years, and I've worked with a number of abused children. And because of those stories that I have learned in working with the darkest of families, I always have a problem with the Ten Commandments, with teaching kids to honor your father and mother. If you are from a wonderful home with wonderful parents, that's an easy thing. It's actually a pillar that you hold on to. This is the most important thing. But if you're from an abused house, it's really difficult. And if you're doing that and working with that population when you're a person of faith, you start reading the Bible and you start understanding there's not a whole lot of support in the Bible for children. There's not a lot of support for that. I say this because I often hear Christians speaking about the Ten Commandments as this perfect expression of the law, and it's not. It's not. It is not a perfect, it has a lot of gaping holes in it. And it was never intended to be that. It was never intended to be that. You might notice that the Jewish community is never pushing up the Ten Commandments as the most important thing because in the Torah, in the first five books of the Bible, there are 613 laws in those first five books. They're complex, they're diverse, there's some beauty that runs through those things. There's nothing exactly special about the Ten Commandments. And there's a part of us that we have to really get over this. That they're not the perfect expression. There's a meaning, something deeper in these Ten Commandments than just being a perfect expression of the law. 
This past week, Peggy and I stayed out on the Gunflint Trail, way out on the Gunflint Trail, where there's limited resources. And I realized as we were driving through and, um, and doing our little tours and hikes that I got back to our lodge, our cabin that we were staying at, and um, we had very little gas. And there's this building at, and the tra- that's called the Trail Center. It's out on the middle of the trail. It's a great restaurant, and a lot of people know it. You go there, and I noticed as we were leaving that it had gas there. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'll go see if those gas pumps work. And the light, there's a dollar value lit up on the gas pumps that told you how much it was. $4.97 a gallon. And I'm just like, okay, that can't be real. So when I went back to our lodge, I sat there and I asked the guy who owned it, I said, "Um, do they sell gas anywhere out here? He goes, yeah, you can get it at the trail center, but it's $4.97 a gallon. That's just robbery. And it is. It is. In the Ten Commandments of my youth, and I don't know, I'm not going to make this statement, I don't know how the Methodists were brought up with the Ten Commandments and being taught. I'm sure you didn't go through Luther's small catechism, but I had six years of confirmation, so I went through it a lot. And the six, and in, in your, when you learn your Ten Commandments, thou shall not steal, thou shall not steal means any time that you take advantage of your neighbor, you are in fact stealing. If the price of gas is $2.97 and you charge $4.97, you are stealing and you are taking advantage of your neighbor. And it goes that deep because we're all supposed to be guilty because we can't live up to the Ten Commandments. And it's because you're guilty and you break those Ten Commandments that you need a God. I'm pointing at you. Feel a little guilty right now? (laughs) It was just emphasis right there, okay? I got to tell you something. I got a lot of things to feel guilty about. I got a ton of things to guilty about. Why do I want to worship a God that says, you have to break everything and beat everything and fail at everything to be loved? Why can't I just be loved for who I am? Who wants to worship a God who intentionally sets up laws you can't abide just so you love them? I read enough Wesley to feel there's got to be a remnant of truth there in Methodism as well. There are three things that I want you to know about the Ten Commandments that are extremely important, and they're very, very true. Okay? Number one is that this, you hear it in the story, that this is written like a legal document. This is like a legal document. It's like a contract. When they go up to the mountain, Moses is going to get these Ten Commandments. God says, listen what? I've got all this power. He provides a witness to the people. He says, I have the power to get you out of Egypt. I took you out of, away from the Egyptians. I saved you. I have that kind of power. Because I have that kind of power, I'm going to give you these ten rules to follow. If you follow them, I will love you. I will care for you. I will nurture you. It is a contract that's being signed. And the contract is not putting an emphasis on behavior and following them to the T like we think because in that contract it says, I will punish you for the third and fourth generation of your parents if you break them. And I will also forgive you and show mercy for a thousand generations of your parents. 
Meaning in that, if you violate the contract, my love and forgiveness is 500 times greater than your breaking them and the punishment you may receive. For this reason, Jesus will later affirm all things. This contract is a contract between God and a contract between neighbors. It is that connection that is being, um, is being agreed upon. This contract is about a relationship. It's not about law. It's about setting down this relationship and giving dynamics to this relation. If you treat the Ten Commandments a law, you can easily divide the world. You can easily divide the world. It's so easy to do. And those who follow the law and those who don't. Those who worship God like you're supposed to and those who don't. Those who steal and those who don't. This view intentionally divides and typically we put ourselves always on the following side. We always put ourselves on the more favorable side. But I invite you to understand the commandments are not about following law as much as understanding your relationship to all things. Or should I say we find our deepest sense of joy when we understand ourselves as connected to God and connected to our neighbor. It's for this reason, going back, that Jesus sat there and says, when he asked and affirmed understanding the law, it says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your might, and love your neighbor as yourself. His life and teaching gave depth to those words. That's what the commandments are about. The third, for the Jews, the Ten Commandments were never about the laws. They were about the revelation. In the story we read today, the people are afraid to speak to God. They send Moses up to the mountaintop and said, no, you go talk to God because we don't want to talk to him because we know if we talk to God, we will die. So Moses goes up on that top. And the Ten Commandments will eventually get written down into tablets. But what we hear in the first story in this chapter 19 and 20, that they are spoken to Moses. It's later that they'll be written down. But what gives him power is the revelation. These are words that God gives directly to Moses. Moses talks to God and lives. And later, when the Ten Commandments are written down on tablets, it'll say in chapter 31, it was the finger of God that wrote those laws. The laws themselves were not set apart It was the events at the top of the mountain which were special. It was for that reason that they would take those tablets and they would put them in the Ark of the Covenant and they would walk with that Ark all across the countryside because those Ark, those laws, carried the presence of God. And when they built the temple, they took that presence and they put it in the holiest of holies, into this special place that only the high priest was allowed to go into because it carried the presence of God. But we're Christians. We're Christians and we understand because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that God does not dwell in stone tablets. We understand because of our baptism that God dwells within us. As it says in Revelation, see the home of God is among mortals. The law does not place God in our hearts. God comes to us and any law we follow in response to what God has already done for us in Christ Jesus. Today's World Communion Sunday, and in many ways, 
there could be a better text to read for this Sunday than this one. But central to this day as a reminder that our identity as Christian people, Holy Communion, where we gather around things of the earth and of humankind, bread and wine, God comes to us through this meal in the same way God in the Ten Commandments spoke in a language the people would understand. We can hold these elements and we can feast on them. The presence of God often remind, remains a mystery to us, but we can understand a plate of bread and a cup of life. This meal does exactly what the Ten Commandments sets out to do, to bind us into a relationship with God and to bind us into a relationship with our neighbors. When we eat of this meal, we are to remember and to worship the Lord our God, and we are to share it with our neighbors so that we may love God as God loved us. This meal reminds even the most fractured souls. This meal reminds even the most fractured soul that God is not confined to some far-off place distant in the outer reaches of the universe, nor is God in two stone tablets. God is here in the breaking of the bread and in the drinking of the cup. This is a moment, a, in a moment of revelation to remind us we can speak to God and we will not die. That whatever we bring to this table, God's forgiveness and mercy is 500 times greater than any punishment we might receive. And most importantly, God's presence is not confined here to this sanctuary in Minneapolis. It's not confined here to Richfield United Methodist Church. At this very moment, there is a community somewhere sharing the very same meal. And Christ is present with them just as Christ is present with us. How this works, we'll never understand but we celebrate the hope and promise that it does happen to and in all of us, no matter where we are in the world. Amen.